Hi, I'm Julie. I'm Laura. We're longtime friends who know a good year at Real Talk can solve almost anything. And we're transferring our skills and experiences to our new coaching practice. Whether you're making a big decision, exploring a new path, planning a project, or you just want to learn how coaching might help you, join us for our conversations on Coaching Through It. For season two of the Coaching Through It podcast, we're excited to invite guests like Dr. Isabel Iqbal. Isabel is a career and life coach who helps ambitious perfectionists move forward in their higher education career without throwing their quality of life out the window. Isabel takes a positive approach to perfectionism in her coaching. This, she believes, is a much more kind and realistic strategy than wishing one's perfectionism away. Isabel is certified with the International Coaching Federation. She's an ACC level coach and is a Gallup certified strengths coach. And fun fact, when Julie and I were in coach training, we listened to a whole season of Isabel being coached and coaching uh, Dr. Katie Linder, our coach trainer. We hope you enjoy this episode and our chat with Isabel. We've learned so much from her before and during this episode. Um, Isabo, thank you for joining us today. We're excited to have a conversation with you about your coaching experience. Um, yes, at true to coaching form, how are you coming into our, our time together today? Um, I am coming in, well, I'm going to say with curiosity, that sounds really coachy, cheesy response, but it actually um, is true because I've listened to a number of, of your episodes and um, I really am curious where this conversation is going to go. So, and then I went for a hike this morning, so I'm like all energized by my time outdoors too. Love that. Love we that. love both curiosity and outdoors life. So you've come to the right place. <laughs> awesome. um, we would love to know as, as we've kind of shared pre-recording, what got you into coaching? How did you start as a coach? Yeah. I'll try not to make this too long, but I, when I was in my twenties, I uh, was fortunate enough to be introduced to coaching. So this was like when I think the profession was very, very young. I'm 52 now. And um, I had a friend whose partner was training to become this thing called a coach. And he coached me uh, for probably, you know, a number of, of sessions. And it was it was pretty amazing. Um, and then kind of fast forward, I sort of forgot that was like my encounter with coaching. And then I didn't have interaction with coaching for quite some time until I started working as an educational developer at the University of British Columbia. And I had uh, a colleague who brought in a coach to do a few sessions. And then she offered some follow-up with whoever was interested. So again, you know, I had these little snippets of experience of being coached. And then when a number of years after my PhD, I call it the four-year itch. Like every four years, I want to do something really like big and different. So about four years after my PhD, I started thinking like, what's next? What, what can I, what can I do? What do I want to do? You know, is ed development still the place for me? What could this look like? And um I had at that point been coached quite a quite a bit, had a good sense of what it was, and got really curious about developing my own skills as a as a coach. So that's kind of how it worked. Imagine if we had a coach at age twenty, Julie, how much faster or tracked our life would have been. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's what I'm I was like, thinking. I like, wow, I wouldn't have worn that outfit. I wouldn't have gone to on that date. I don't know. <laughs> would have made much better decisions with my life and career. I would have. Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. So 
what reminded you or triggered you to go back to coaching then later on, do you think? Well, I think it was because I had this colleague, right? So when, so that was in my twenties, then in my thirties, I got introduced to educational development, worked on a small team, what was then a small team. And one of my colleagues was very much into professional development. She knew somebody invited that coach to do some professional development with us, with the, with the entire team. And as part of her offer, you know, closing up the workshop was if, you know, if anyone's interested in working one-on-one, I don't remember if it was paid or not, like kind of what stage, but, but I had the chance again to like, whatever it was, 10, 12 years later to be reintroduced to coaching. And then, um, also I'm really fortunate at UBC that they have an organizational coaching program. So I've so as a, one of the benefits as a staff person is that I can get coached at um, at no like outside cost to me. So I've been able to take advantage of that uh, program. So that's why when I got that itch again, I had had a lot of coachee experience, loved it, and um, started to really consider it strongly for myself, like to become a coach. Isabel, what was your first step? Like when you got to that point of, I think I want to explore this. What did you do first? Um, So I had had a business for a very short time in my 20s. This is when I met met, met that coach. And I didn't have much experience with business. And ultimately, it didn't last very long. And so what I was looking for is um, a short type of program for coaching, like to start to get to know what coaching is. Um, But I wasn't prepared to do an ICF, like an International Coaching Federation program. So I had um, done the Clifton Strengths, what used to be called Strengths Finder. I had done the Clifton Strengths assessment as a staff person and really, really liked the, the tool and the learning that I got from that. And had been listening to some podcasts by someone who specializes in in that tool. And so I thought, well, I could train as a Clifton Strengths coach. The training was five days long and um, try it out because I was not worried about learning to become a coach. Like I, you know, we both, we all have so much experience as learners. We're probably all fairly confident in our ability to to be good learners, but I was less confident in my ability to run a business, like to the business of coaching. And so I thought short training, you know, this is a kind of investment I can, I can deal with. See if then after like spend a year trying to grow the business, if I can like stomach that, you know, I can deal with all that piece of it and still feel like committed and enthused, then I would consider a longer, um, a longer program. So that's kind of how it went. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because like our podcast, we were, our goal is to pull back the current behind coaching practice. And I think some of the questions and conversations we've had are, yeah, about a business of coaching. What does it mean to like sell or market you as a coach when you're also like, this feels weird or this feels to huckster and yeah. and there's a lot of people that say there's they're coaches that are not and how do you best couch that um frame yourself and so all the questions of like 
how did you overcome that? Like, how did you get past that, the business of coaching to actually do the business of coaching, I guess? I have not overcome it. (laughs) No, like it it is, it is a constant work. It is constant Mm. self-coaching around that because it is not something I'm accustomed to at all, right? I'm a, I've like, I have been a staff person for all my life and being an entrepreneur is so different. I feel like it's the, um, I feel like it's the best and most difficult professional growth program I have, you know, ever been in because it just makes me face like everything about myself. Um, so I listen to podcasts, I read, I find other coaches that inspire me. I get coached, you know, like I, I, I wish Laura, I dream of the day where I might overcome it. But my sense is also from following some successful coaches that like it, this, it just then transforms into something else, right? Some other thing that you're having to deal with. So yeah, that's ongoing. Sometimes I wonder um, if it is better or worse to be aware and and to be able to self-coach a little bit. I've had moments recently where I'm like, oh, well, this is just imposter syndrome showing up. I've named it. I don't know how to deal with it. I'm just going to walk away from it, you know, <laughs> like, or, or yeah. you just need to reassert your worth, right? Like you're worth it. And it's like, okay, yeah. I identified it. Still don't know what to do with it. You know? <laughs> so true. So true. I was, um, I don't know if you've, have you heard of coaching supervision? Is something you've heard no. of? Yeah. No. no. So, tell, tell us about, we're learning. We're here to learn. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So coaching supervision is um, like, Apparently, this is big in in the therapist world where a therapist will have a supervisor with whom they can debrief like a a challenging client situation or something that they came across in their therapy. So there's also this thing called coaching supervision where, um, you know, let's say, Laura, you and I just had a coaching session and then I would, I could take it to my coach supervisor and um, say, you know, this is kind of what I encountered. So she's not coaching me per se. It's like a slightly different skill set, but it's a an opportunity for me to reflect. It's definitely not like the mentor, you know, where you get feedback on your coaching, but it's a chance for me to reflect and to think out loud with somebody who's asking me questions. So obviously very, very coach-like. Um but uh, to Julie's point previously, yesterday I had a meeting with my coach supervisor and um, was debriefing a, a situation. And I'm like, okay, so I'm aware, but like, how do I get out of this? Right? Anyway, so we we just we spoke about that a, a little bit. Um, just in case you're curious, it was really like about, you know, acknowledging self-compassion and sh- she tried to assure me the voice would, you know, would diminish over time. I'm like, okay, well, we'll see. <laughs> well, this reminds me of like, um, yeah, like yeah, it, it does remind me of therapy because I think of like the show, the HBO show in treatment. Daniel Byrne was the first season of it, but would go and talk to his kind of mentor therapist and yeah. talk out situations. And, and we do kind of do this with like our mentor trainer. So our trainer that we both have, Julie and I, we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, we do these um, mentor coaching sessions later 
times yeah. you just come and bring problems or, um, and I guess we're also trying to do this as a peer community. So a few of us have created a co- coaches coffee talk where we Thanks. bring up a topic and we talk through it as a group, but yeah. you really getting that feedback is really helpful. Yeah. And like, I found that when I was doing my training, there were, it felt like there were, that need was taken care of more, right? There was the group coaching, there was the debrief, there was reflecting out loud, there was learning from other people's, you know, recordings, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, it changes, right? When you no longer are in a, a structure, formal program. And so these coffee chats that you're organizing, I think are, are, are you know, a great idea um, because, yeah, without breaking confidentiality, you can still have some debriefing and learning that way. So it's really nice that you're doing that. How did you, was the coaching supervision uh, something you sought out on your own or was that part of a certification piece or how did that come up? Um, It came up at, uh, so I belong to the ICF Vancouver chapter Mm -hmm. and um, I met a woman and she was talking about this thing and I didn't quite understand what it was. And so we arranged to go for, this was like right middle of COVID. So we just arranged to have a, a phone chat afterwards, a cough, like a walk and, and chat. And um, I asked her more about it because she was just, she was so enthusiastic about it, but I wasn't understanding really what it, what it was. And so she then, um, so there are some programs that certify these coaching supervisors and just like we needed hours, they needed hours. So I was doing, I am doing this um, with somebody pro bono. So yeah, she's doing it as part of her certification. Um, yeah, but there is a, like, there are networks. It's a, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's good to know. And we've, yeah. we've had a conversation um or will be posted this season around ICF and being a member, what are some of the benefits are the local chapters and seeing that there's other kind of professional development resources and you could still grow as a coach, even though you're not in program, which now it sounds like a, I'm being committed to a mental therapy (laughs) program, but you're like, so when you're leaving a coach training, what do you do then is, it's really the question that we were always curious about and how do you continue to learn about yourself and your practice? And that's a good way to do it. I'm kind of at the stage right now where that's becoming a greater desire. So, you know, I finished my program and then I was like, I'm good for a while, right? I, I knew that I would be I would be fine. I didn't need to en- enroll in something um, more for a little while, but I have started to to feel it. Um, that Coach Training EDU program that I did for the credit program that I did, they offer uh, – sort of twice a month, some sessions where you can explore some tools together. You can also do some coaching and depending on, um, you sometimes get some feedback. So those are the little ways. And then also at the University of British Columbia, um, that with that organizational coaching, they have started to do some things. So I'm finding little pockets. Um, and I might do like some, an- another program. Um, but I'm not jumping into it just yet. Yeah. I don't want to use it as a, an avoidance strategy for the business part because I still feel like the business part is is the is the hardest one for me. What are some strategies that you um, kind of gave yourself, or you might might want to suggest to others to overcome that business side of mm. coaching? 
I didn't, I've enrolled in like various programs. So that has been very, very helpful. Uh, sort of some group programs, not the, um, not the like totally self-guided here, the online modules, good luck type of thing, but I needed something with a little bit more support. So for me, that works, um, well, definitely getting coached, right? So I have a business coach. Uh, so that also is, is really good, I would say. And then I, I do reciprocal coaching where sometimes the topic is around the business coaching, but you know, you definitely don't, like I would say, the blind leading the blind isn't a good strategy for, you know, for this, this is somewhere, something where I, I do want like someone who's at least a few steps ahead of me, uh, to be providing some guidance. So though the coaching can certainly help, um, consulting slash coaching works well for me. And then I've, then I've also paid for various consultants when there's been a particular issue that I, that I want support around. What have you paid for? Do you mind sharing that? Yeah. No, not at all. Um, so it, with regards to, I recently decided to learn about SEO. So I, I have been writing um, a blog for about three years at this point. And I love to write, but I'm like, okay, I've got to get a little more strategic about it, right? Like, wonderful to write, but I really need to like address the SEO, the search engine optimization. So I paid for someone to give me sort of a basic, right? So we worked together for a month. It was, it was terrific. She was able to teach me and also provide feedback on, on my posts and, and that, um, and then there's other things where I just, I don't want to learn the thing. So <laughs> I, I just have paid for that. So, um, like getting my cutie schedule, uh, all, all set up with like the logo and, you know, the, the, all the different types of appointments. Those are, there are some things I'm like, no, thanks. Not interested. You know, I'll, I'll pay for that. So it's a little bit different, right? One mm -hmm. is the learning and then the other one is like, just take it off my plate. What yeah. was, uh, the one thing that maybe felt a lot bigger in your mind with the business, but when you took action, ended up being pretty small? Mm, that's a great question. I don't know if I'm saying this just because I just mentioned the, uh, the acuity piece, but like I have scheduling aversion. <laughs> it's a thing. I don't know. Yeah. It feels onerous to me to schedule. And so I wanted the online calendar for a few reasons. One is because as a client, I love being able to schedule my own appointments. I just, I love it. I don't have to do back and forth. I can take the time I need. And so I want to be able to offer that. So that might've felt like a, a big deal initially. And then once I made the decision and started to use it, it, it was really, it's been really nice. I'm sure there's others. Yeah. That was self-serving for Julie to ask. She's, she wants to know. My barriers feel big. Yeah. My barriers <laughs> feel real big. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, with the scheduling, is that what you did? I think just scheduling and just the business piece, right? Oh, like yeah. I'm, I am intent to kind of cruise in the, perhaps this can be part of my career day job space. Like how do right. I work it more into that versus let's launch the business. Well, so. I think, I think the incentive for me is that I want to retire from the university. And so I'm seeing kind of this runway 
right? Like if I were whatever, 20 years younger, maybe even, you know, 10, 15 years younger, I would um, be seeing this very differently. And so, you know, we're a family of four. I'm the main bread earner. And um, for me, I would like to leave the institution when I'm 55, but I'm not ready to stop working. And I, I love coaching. And so that's, um, that's real incentive. And I, I, I don't know, like, I, I want to get this, right? Like, I really want to be able to figure this out. Um, it would, it would feel like a, such a big accomplishment for, for me. So there's like all these different pieces going to kind of mixed in, but you know, the question you asked was like, what felt like a big deal and then actually ended up being quite small. The other question of what felt like a big deal and still feels like a big deal is mm-hmm. sales, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that's still everything to do, not everything, most things to do with sales are still um, something that I need to like m- mentally work on a lot. Yeah. What about sales is hard for you? The, um, the, I don't want to be pushy. This mm-hmm. feels icky. I don't want to bother anybody, you know, like that whole, mm-hmm. whole thing around like, ah, does anybody really care? Um, so it's all tapped in right to this like self-worth that what I have has value. And then, oh my gosh, I have to charge for it. Right. Like it's just such a shift from from what my life as in, an employee has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are the big ones. Well, and I think too, Laura's heard my rant on higher ed many times and I, I will shorten it for this podcast, <laughs> but um, I do think, you know, we we're all in that space or have worked in that space. And I, I think we're also taught to um, within that, within that institution, we are taught to, not place value on our work in the way that selling yourself requires, right? I think yeah. it's it's not only just this is new and this is different. It's also like I've been taught that I shouldn't approach my work this way um, in sure. in the name of service, right? So yeah, um, it's complicated. I think it is complicated. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So you know, sometimes I get impatient with myself. And then I have to remind myself, all right, well, like this is really new, really new. So um, I still get impatient with myself, but you know, it's good. It's it's, it's, it's a process. Yeah, it's a process. Exactly. It's a process. Yeah. So something I'm thinking about as you talk, and I'm glad you're sharing this, Isabel, is I think it's hard. I think some of it is the value of coaching that we know to be true. And we're all trained in the kind of ICF um, program, idea, ethics. And when yeah. I have an issue, like I have a bigger issue of not sales and, mar- and worth, but like all the other people that are selling themselves to be something they're not and like being in the same marketplace. So mm-hmm. like, I think of it in terms of like, and I I would never push anyone. I'm like, you should shop around if someone explores with me. I'm like, I, if you don't pick me, I'm not offended. Go find yeah. your right fit. But I also get worried that like, and the reason why we started this podcast was to say like, this is what coaching is. And part of it is a business and the reality of um, coaches 
should be paid. It's just as valuable type of learning um, as an ed developer, as we're doing learning development in orgs. um, It is a really great part of learning. And some of it's also explaining that to people in Mm -hmm. exploration sessions, explaining that to them in your online self, wherever that is, a website, a LinkedIn or whatever, and then going, does this align with who I am? Um, Not just value, but as far as worth, but value as in um, this is who I am in my identity. I think that's a piece of it that we're still kind of like talking out on this podcast. So we we get you and we hear that. if you have any advice for us, we welcome that as well. So <laughs> No, no, but like as you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, so we know that coaching's unregulated, that, you know, anyone can call themselves a coach. And that, it, for whatever reason, has never bothered me. Yeah, I don't find myself um, thinking about that too much or and definitely not not bothered by it. Yeah. Not sure. I'm not sure why. Cause you must not be on Instagram because they bother me. So, Oh, <laughs> I'm not on Instagram. It's true. Okay. It's true. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just teasing some of you out there. Just kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite coaching question or what's, and maybe favorite could also be qualified as like, what's your go-to when you're stuck and you don't mm. know what to do next. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think I like that qualifier there because favorite is harder, right? It's so so context dependent. I find myself using some variation of like, you know, what's important about that to you? I think like when I've listened to recordings of myself, I'm like, I see important way too much. <laughs> so something along those lines, like trying to, because I think, I can easily jump to assumptions about why something might feel relevant, important, meaningful, but to hear the coachee, the client say it in their words is, is really helpful to me. And then, um, trying to uncover like how something is serving them can be a little bit delicate, right? In terms of, in terms of how that's asked and probably wouldn't, might not be something I asked the the very first time, not in the very first conversation, but to see how someone's stories or someone's assumptions or beliefs when they're claiming or saying or noticing that it's keeping them stuck, like in what way is that, is that serving you? Always find also really interesting. Yeah. And then sometimes like I don't, someone might talk for a while and I'm not sure where the question is. So like, where's the question in that? Right. So kind of trying to get them to, to pull out the question after they've talked for, for a while and I'm not quite sure what they're asking. Yeah. I like that one. I could have used that one recently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <Filed> away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was another coach who I noticed him using it so well, so gently and so respectfully. I really liked it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the, what's the point question <laughs> almost. Um, what's the, so, so what's the, so what your questions also are really revealing about your clients, like truths of everything. Like what like you're like, you're asking like what's important to, yeah. uh, I think that really it's, it's really revealing to them and how it's being served. Like, so that really peels back a layer of your client. So that's really cool that you ask those questions. 
Yeah. And I liked, I was listening to one of your episodes where you used the term barnacle, barnacle <laughs> questions <laughs> or barnacle phrases. I was really curious about that. That's a Katie. That's a Katie phrase. I'll give it credit where it's due. Um, and I, I, I got coached on this from her. I don't know, Laura, if you got this feedback to you, but the no, then it's the idea of, um, you know, rather than saying like, well, what's important about that? Yeah. Right. You would say, well, if you had to summarize in what you just said and pick out a few things, what would be the important pieces of what you, you know, like, it's right, like, right. just quit adding all the barnacles or all the stuff to it. Just like get to nice. the question. Yeah. 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 I, of course, went the opposite way as many new coaches do after getting that feedback. And then like my next session was like, well, well, what do you think? You know, like, <laughs> of course, corrected too, too tight, of course, corrected too tight. You know, we had to, yeah, yeah. We had to get a little bit back, you know, <laughs> was some, I mean, uh, yeah, sometimes those <laughs> questions are just fabulous, right? They're yeah. really concise. Let's get right at it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Your clients will tell you if you're too sharp shooting. Cause I've been like, they're like, Whoa, yeah. you just asked me that question. I'm like, I did. <laughs> so I did think I asked them, what's the point when uh, just recently, what's the point of that? And yeah. they're like, Oh, I guess I'll have to answer that now. <laughs> so right. I think it's, it, I think it's, it depends on your client too. Right. As you yeah. said, context dependent, uh, what, the, what you're talking about or who you're talking to for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give your past self as oh. a coach now? I kind of feel like my advice for my past self was like my ongoing advice to my current self. And um, it has something to do, maybe you can help me like, you know, put it together after, but I think initially I was really um, focused on looking at what other coaches are doing and in a way, um, not like mimicking, not mimicking as in copying, but, but really going with what the mainstream, like, and trying to understand and put together the puzzle pieces based on what I was, what I was seeing. And so my advice is around like finding ways to tap into, to my voice. Like I read my, some of my old blog posts and I just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm just like, you know, wearing some sort of straight jacket. Like it's just so, it feels so constricted and, um, and it's been nicer, like over the more recent past to feel just more like myself. Right. So my advice would be around finding ways to support yourself, to be yourself as a, as a coach. And I think it is really difficult because like for myself, I was moving into what felt like a really new professional identity, even though as ed developers were, were having confidential conversations with, you know, with faculty members and other members of the community all the time to then identify myself publicly as a coach felt so scary initially. Like I remember, you know, kind of sweating over, you know, changing my profile and LinkedIn and starting to post about something that wasn't ed development. And it, it was like nerve wracking. So it is hard to find your voice when you're just so darn nervous and worried about, you know, whatever impression you're going to make. Um, so that would be my advice. 
if a client was coming to look for you, um, who looks for you? Yeah, that would be actually, that's my question. Yeah. I'm going to go back. What, yeah. what clients look for you and who do you support? Um, it's mostly women who come to look for me. Women, I've noticed mostly women of color who work in higher education and who identify in some way with the ambitious perfectionist. So this is kind of how the phrase that I, that I use and, um, you know, both of you will nod knowingly, right? At, at the, the the group of uh, folks who who might identify with this. Um, I would love to know more about what is it that draws someone, you know, to me versus somebody else who who might work with a similar clientele. Um, and so, it's a really good question, and I don't know that I can be any more specific, but something in that I either said or the way I said it or seems to draw people, but that's the general group. Yeah. And it's career coaching. Uh, like, like you do. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've learned a lot. I was excited to have the conversation from a, a connection and networking, but it was like an extra level of learning that I also wasn't expecting if I'm honest. I don't Ju- know. Yeah. Julie's taking notes right now. Just for I, I, so I, just, you know, I, Isa, oh, this has been lovely to chat with you and learn yeah, about your time. practice and your evolution of your practice. And we're just grateful for your time. So thank you for coming to chat with us. Oh, thank thank you. you for inviting me. And I've been learning as I listen to you and really enjoy your conversational style and the way you, the way you think and riff off ideas. It's really great. Thank you for your work. Be sure to listen to the next episode by subscribing to our podcast. We always welcome comments and questions. Send us an email at coachingthroughit at gmail.com. Until then, we'll be figuring it out on Coaching Through It.